Hi, everybody. My name is Elan, and I'm joined by Ethan. <laughs> and this is Three Opinions. This is actually the first time we've tried this this podca- podcast. Uh, Ethan and I have, have known each other for what? How many years now? It's got to be oh, 20 plus. 20 years? It's been 20 quite, plus years. quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, we'll, we'll have another episode where we talk a little bit about you know, how, how we met, uh, which uh, uh, was an interesting story. Um, I'm from Canada, Ethan's from the United States, and we'll have a little other conversation with that at some point. But what we're gonna talk about today is COVID-19. And uh, I'll just give a little bit of my own background. I'm a professor of, of politics and international relations at Durham University in the UK. And Ethan? Uh, well, I'm a uh, health policy person uh, here in the United States, and right now I work for uh, the Defense Health Agency. So it's the the folks that provide health care to our Department of Defense and their beneficiaries, uh, about 10 million people. Um, and one of many aspects of American health care that I'm sure we'll get into at some point in this podcast series. Uh, yeah, but for, for many people who don't have any familiarity with uh, American healthcare, I'm sure this is going to be very, very informative and possibly traumatic for them <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. So today we're going, going, to talk, going to take a look at the public and personal decisions uh, that have led to this global pandemic and some speculation of where all this is headed. And, uh, you know, this is really an Ethan's show. You know, he's got the expertise in this. Uh, so we've got, uh, got a bunch of I got a bunch of some questions and uh, we'll just see where, where this takes us. Sure thing. Ethan had mentioned that, uh, that this virus hits the sweet spots that epidemiologists have worried about for decades. And I'm wondering if you could say a little what, what those sweet spots are. Yes. Uh, well, it comes down to the disease progression. And, and so first of all, the reason why I have any authority to talk about this is, is that I have a master's in public health that I haven't really used for anything. Uh, for well over a decade now, uh, because I do health policy, which is really about uh, how do you pay for uh, hip replacements and stuff like that, uh, whereas public health is about, you know, how many people are sick and why. Um, but anyway, um, I've been dusting off my epidemiology textbooks and really looking at this and reading as much as I could about it. Um, and the thing about COVID-19 that makes it just so difficult is 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 that it can spread without symptoms and you know it's it's the disease progression it's it's it makes it hard to know who is sick and who isn't um and uh, i i was just saying to somebody the other day that you know if you turned blue when you got covid none of this would be a problem <laughs> but it's that's right. just not how it works um and figuring out you know who who has it who doesn't and then making sure that everybody knows who has it and who doesn't is, is a challenge on a global level. Um, and, you know, so I, I think that on one hand, that's, that's the hardest thing about COVID. On the other hand, it's, it's Achilles heel. Um, you know, if, if there were $5 test strips, you know, things like a pregnancy test that were just everywhere um, and you could grab one or before you went into the supermarket or you showed up on campus at university or what have you, um, you know, and take one of these and hang out for a few minutes and find out if you're positive or not, you know, a lot of these problems go away. Um, and so, but the fact that, that we're not there now, or, or at least in limited ways and limited places, um, you know, to me is sort of the biggest hang up on all of this. And I guess one of the things that's so scary about uh, and, and dangerous about COVID is that while, you know, there are a lot of people who are dying from it, it's the mortality rate isn't 
so high that the virus kind of burn itself out uh, relatively quickly, if I understand correctly, so that uh, you know it can it can spread and uh, quite quite fast and um, with uh, I guess varying degrees of risk. Yeah, and I, I mean you can look at two of its its predecessors. So you know, as we all know, this is a coronavirus, uh, but so is SARS and then MERS, which is the Middle Eastern uh, Respiratory Syndrome. Uh, yeah. And SARS had a had a, a fatality rate of about 10%. MERS had a fatality rate of about 30%. Um, plus, they came on strong and quick. Um, and so, you know, these are all coronaviruses. They're really relatives of each other. Um, it's, it, it, you know, there is a difference in people that's going to crop up in people's behavior if you tell them you have a one in 10 chance of dying versus a one in 100 chance. And, you know, I, I do think that is one of the sort of epidemiological sweet spots of this thing and the reason why it could become a pandemic. I guess for, for so many of us is just understanding a little bit about the, you know, how the uncertain, you know, how do we deal with this? And, you know, what, what's it like in the United States? I and mean, I can talk a little what it's like in the UK, but, you know, we see that, uh, you know, there's such a great, there's, there appears to be such a huge disparity in the U.S. Well, okay, talking about the U.S. experience, uh, one of the things that I've, I've found fascinating for my job, I had, I had to do this presentation uh, on the history of pandemics and how it affects force readiness of militaries. Um, and so I went all the way back to the first century to the Antonine plague. Uh, and then, you know, looked at every, uh, a couple of other incidents and then uh, the 1918 influenza experience. Um, and, you know, I, I've been reading a lot about that. Talking about the disparities, the regional disparities in the United States is that that was the case then as well. Um, so a big example that, that that's shown up a lot um, are the cities of St. Louis and Philadelphia. Um, so there was, I'm trying to remember what it was. There, there was a reason for a public gathering. It was a parade or something like that. And it's the kind of thing that happens in, in downtowns all over the place. Um, and, and this is in the middle of the, uh, of the influenza outbreak. And the city of St. Louis uh, had a, a public health commissioner or whoever would be in charge um, who decided, you know, there's no way this parade can go forward. Uh, the city has to lock itself down. Uh, We've got to do everything we can. This, this, is, this pandemic of, of flu is, you know, one of the worst things that's ever happened here. Um, and he took a lot of political grief for doing that. Um, the fact that he could pull that off then, uh, you know, without having the sort of bully pulpits that, that uh, you know, leaders might have today or authority that uh, leaders might have today was pretty amazing. And the, I, I mean, I just imagine how, how scared that person must have been to, to tell the city of St. Louis it had to shut down. Um, and on the other hand, you had the city of Philadelphia uh, and they said, oh yeah, we're gonna go ahead and have this parade. Um, and thousands of people went and lined the streets. Um, and right afterwards, you know, a few days later, a huge outbreak of influenza happened and a bunch of people died. Um, and, you know, you can see how these, these end up being local decisions, at least in the United States, they really end up being very local decisions. I mean, one of the things that I find really curious is the public dis debates about face masks. And uh, I remember reading how recently, I think there was a, during the, uh, this, the, the Spanish flu, uh, I think in San Francisco, you had similar debates about whether or not people should be wearing them. I mean, is there a great, are you finding that there's a lot of discrepancies across the United States where some areas, you know, people are more comfortable with, you know, wearing, you know, a face mask? 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, I, first of all, my personal experience with that. So I, I live in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is really uh, just outside of, uh, of, of Washington, D.C. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, the public health messages we get from the state, from the county, from everybody locally um, is, you know, very much wear a mask whenever you're around anybody. And when you go out in public, uh, everybody has a mask and there is a tremendous amount of social pressure to have a mask on. Um, and it's, you know, it really is universal. It's just not a question. Uh, if you drive uh, an hour and a half south of here uh, into rural Virginia or an hour and a half north into rural Maryland, Pennsylvania, um, <clears throat> you could go into a, a supermarket and get dirty looks for wearing a mask. Um, and it, it, it's come down to sort of an identity thing. It's like, well, what side of it are you on? Um, and, you know, I, I work with somebody who has an immunocompromised son, um, and he's obviously terrified of, of anybody, uh, you know, in his family or near him catching COVID. And he spends a lot of time in, uh, in, in central Virginia, and he's really struggled with, you know, going into a store with a mask on. I don't think he's, he's, he's run into any sort of actual, um, you know, conflict, but he's definitely gotten looks and it's sort of like, oh, you're on that side of the issue. Certain people have decided to make this into a political thing uh, for their own benefit. And, you know, if, if you're somebody who subscribes to, you know, to that side of things, then you're going to, you're going to go along with that, uh, all else being equal. And I think that actually, you know, when you look at the public, the, the compliance numbers, even in rural areas, places, you know, that are, that are more likely to vote for Trump, let's say, um, most people are still wearing masks. And that's, that's slowly changed, you know, over the course of months. Uh, but then there are places where they're, they're just completely resistant to it. Um, and it's, I mean, th there's, there's no easy answer to it. Uh, I think that, you know, if this had happened under like George W. Bush administration, let's say, you know, there, there'd be all these same guys to be out there, you know, with like American flag masks over their faces and, you know, I, I do think it comes down to leadership ultimately. And, and, you know, like you see in Europe, there's always some people who say, you know, screw the authorities. <laughs> you know, I just heard there was a, there was a something in Leipzig um, flared up with, you know, a bunch of demonstrators showed up against it. And, you know, th these things happen anywhere, but here it's really been encouraged and, you know, for the political gain of certain groups. And, and you know, I think that's actually, that's, that's really a travesty. And I, I do think that, you know, it's not, it's not like an inborn ideological thing. Like, because I'm a freedom loving American, I'm, I, I can't wear a mask. Like you, you have to be told that because you're a freedom loving American, <laughs> you won't wear a mask. Like it, it, it's not, it, it's not something that happens on its own. And, yeah. you know, if there's one thing I've, I learned in public health school, it's that it really comes down to, to, to human behavior. Um, you know, I remember one example of uh, uh, a contraception program in, in, in Ethiopia where uh, they demonstrated how to put a condom on with a, you know, a condom in a stick and said, okay, so you put the condom on like this and, uh, and, and you know, everybody nods along and says, yeah, sure. And then they go home and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and nothing changes, right? The, there's, there's, there's still an you know, absurdly high birth rate and the people go, go back uh, to the communities and they try to figure out what's going on and they see that outside of everybody's house there's a condom on a stick <laughs> you know <laughs> it's 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 sitting over the door frame or whatever and it's because you know the, the message wasn't clear 
message wasn't clear, obviously, you know, what the stick equates to. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it's that sort of a thing that makes the difference in public health. got to be so there's got to be some kind of recept like uh, you know some receptive element to you know this is a, yeah. you'll see you know picture you know news stories or videos you know someone you know running around without a mask you know shouting people saying this is a hoax um yeah. and i mean but you know the the i think you know the u.s has got you know one of the highest numbers of cases around and so you know it seems that there's some significant cognitive dissonance going on here yeah well i mean the first thing to that, that, that is one of the hardest things for me to come to terms with about the United States in particular, is that the United States doesn't do anything at all in reference to anybody else. And so I, I look at these numbers and I see, you know, uh, the US uh, per, per 100,000 cases right now, you know, national average uh, over a week is something like 12 per 100,000. And you go over to Europe, you go to, let's say Germany, for example, and it's less than one per 100,000. Um, I look at that and I say, what the hell's going on? Other people don't even look at that. It's like it doesn't compute to them. They just think like, well, you know, I'm not seeing it around me so much or, you know, what the heck's a mask going to really do? And I actually, I, I, I really do blame uh, authorities for those, for, for, for that lack of, of, uh, of thinking, you know, sort of uh, assessing the risk, I guess. Um, you know, I think according to Johns Hopkins, the latest numbers of cases in the United States, there's a little over six million uh, uh, cases. I mean, this is obviously this is based on you know the mm -hmm. data they've got. Um, you know, 188,000 deaths. Um, I think that's the highest number. Uh, you know, of deaths. It's not the highest mortality yeah. rate. Um, yeah, and the trick with but it is the highest number of deaths. The problem with any these comparisons is always getting it down to some sort of an apples to apples way of looking at things, right? So, you know, deaths per 100,000. Yeah. Um, obviously, the UK has, you know, how many yeah. people in the UK? 75 million or something like that? Um, uh, that I don't know. But I know the UK has got a, is that the mortality rate in the UK is actually one of the mm -hmm. higher, um, I think it's, it's higher than the United States. So there's, uh, I think the case fatality rate according Again, to the same source, Jones Hopkins is 12.1 percent, whereas in the U.S. it's it's three percent. And you've got you know deaths per hundred thousand. The U.K. is 60 62.61, whereas the U.S. it's 57.39. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the big problems with it with, with uh, why well, I mean, the U.K. hasn't done very well, anyways. I think it's, it's, mm -hmm. that's pretty clear. But the data is also difficult, right? Different countries collect data differently. Testing in the UK has been a, done very, very poorly. I mean, I was actually volunteered, uh, you know, to participate in, you know, one of these home tests. So, you know, they sent me the test and I got it. And like, a few, uh, you know, a few days later, I think it was actually a week later, I signed up to actually, you know, set up a date for them to collect it and they couldn't collect it. There's yeah. no way. So it's like, you sent me a test and, you, and I can, you know, it was a swab test, but you don't have the mechanism to actually pick up the test yeah <laughs> what's the point the, of that the logistical right? stuff is uh, difficult it, it, it gets messed up um and i'll say that over here there's yeah. nobody that's sending home tests you know for 
what what that would be a surveillance sort of thing to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Deep state. Well, it's, you know, if it was to happen, it would happen at a state level. Um, and so, you know, the state of Maryland right. would send me that. Um, you know, they, they do have testing centers all over the place. That's just not sort of a, uh, it's not something that, it's not a strategy that's really been deployed here. Um, and, and, you know, even if it was, it would be deployed at a state level and there's 50 states. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the job of, of getting all this data together in one place and having it all measured in the same ways is, is next to impossible, really. Um, and that's really... Yeah. Actually, sorry, I was thinking of something you know, just with the experience that we didn't, we didn't touch on, but just how, uh, you know, not, not only do you have the different experiences across different states, but there's also a generational experience. You know, you Hello? mentioned the, um, you know, the Spanish flu, the early oh. 20th century, but there is yeah. also, so, sorry, but yeah, I lost you right when you, you were thinking about how, talk, you know, uh, today's generation, we've never lived through anything like this. Uh, this is, <laughs> you know, it, it, it must be, I mean, it's all new. And I mean, that's, that's come up a lot here, especially, uh, especially for kids, you know, the graduations were ruined. You know, you're talking about the differences in all the, you know, 50 states, but there's also a generational thing, I, I guess, you know, and that none of, none of us ever experienced anything like this before, right? Particularly, you know, for those, like, you know, those of us who live in, you know, post-industrial societies, right? You know, we don't have, you know, rel we don't have the same mortality rates of, you know, that, that people in, in, you know, so many other parts of the world do. And, I, like I, it was, you know, there's a big debate, a big public kind of, at least at the university, you know, amongst so many of our students and, and elsewhere uh, about, you know, kids and, you know, missing graduation and how this is, you know, kind of ruining, like they're really pissed off about this, you know, something was stolen from them. Yeah. It's, it's taken a long time for at least the majority of people to, to really come to terms with what this is. I mean, we, when this first kicked off, I was speaking to a, a, a really a good friend of mine and uh, we did our uh, winter grad school together uh, and he, he's in Australia and he actually works on uh, global health. And, you know, I was asking him, you know, is it safe to travel? Because, you know, we were supposed to meet in Hawaii. This was supposed to be a big conference, the International Studies Association was supposed to be meeting in Hawaii. I had all these other trips planned around that. You know, I was supposed to do some um, uh, uh, research talks in San Francisco and uh, some other stuff on, on the West Coast of Canada. And, you know, at the time it was, you know, might as well fly because look, it's, you know, it's, there's a risk here, but, you know, it's, the mortality rate is actually very low. It seems, you know, it's, and then everything gets, you know, shut down. And there was all sorts of discussions amongst, uh, you know, the community scholars who are supposed to descend on Hawaii, descend on Hawaii, whether it's even ethical, because, you know, what if we bring it there? Could the healthcare system in Hawaii cope? And, you know, now nobody's traveling anywhere. And uh, I'm barely leaving my house unless I'm going out, you know, to do something outdoors or buy food or fuel. Certainly, I, it was the same for me. You know, at, at first it was like, oh, well, maybe this is going to go on for a few weeks, <laughs> which now sounds absurd, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like our, all of our worlds have sort of slowly shrunk into, <laughs> into these little knots. I mean, how, how is that experience in the United States? Well, like everything in the United States, it varies quite a lot. Um, I mean, just... You know, t today I took my daughter to uh, to a farmer's market uh, in the little downtown area in the town where I am. Um, and, you know, people come and they sell produce and things like that. Uh, and, you know, everybody has a mask on and it's, you know, there's a whole scene sort of, you know, people showing up and coming and going. But everybody's pretty careful. 
Uh, and I think that, that that scene could replay itself very differently in different places. Um, you know, I think there are probably places where you wouldn't see very many people at all with a mask. They'd say, ah, you know, even if they were supposed to, you'd be like, ah, I'm outside, whatever. Um, and, you know, it's, I, I think that for, for, for me and the way my life is lived, you know, the biggest thing that's missing is sort of, you know, travel beyond, uh, I don't know, a half hour from home. I mean, basically I go uh, from home to work. I only go to work about once a week. Uh, and other than that, it's just groceries or, you know, or picking up takeout or something like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think that there are places where, you know, restaurants are open and, and people are in, you know, living as if there's nothing going on at all. Um, and it seems like it's, it has to burn through each community in a, separately for people to, to change behavior. Um, you know, there, there's no way it, it, it it just feels like there's no way to get ahead of it at all, right? Like, it's like you have to have a negative experience uh, in order for behavior change to happen. Uh, yeah. You know, people in Iowa can't look over to the people in Illinois and say, well, things look pretty rough over there in Illinois. And, uh, you know, we better be careful so it doesn't happen here. They, and they don't do that. You know, it's like it's like the most parochial way of looking at things. Um, and I mean, that just seems so weird. I mean, it's so one of the it, over here. I mean, the government has colossally mismanaged the response to COVID. I mean, for, you know, they, they, the lockdown that the, that the national lockdown happened or yeah, lockdown kind of, you know, basically asking everybody going to self quarantine. I mean, that happened to about a week too late. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there have, there's been PPE shortages. Uh, there's been a lot of, you know, very mixed guidance, you know, ministers are one minister will say one thing another will say something else. I mean, it's, yeah. Me, yeah, I recall the scandal. Yeah, uh, the, the scandal about the guy who you know ignored the lockdown. I can't remember what his name is, but uh, yeah, well, he's local actually. Um, Cummings. I mean, Dominic Cummings. I mean, he his his, right. his parents live. You know, his family house is not far from where I live. I mean, that guy is dangerous, and that. But uh, and 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 it's just so ridiculous, right? Uh, but the that you know he had to drive to test his eyesight and the, the drive he had to do to test his eyesight you know there's a better and safer ways to test your eyesight than driving uh it's just so just so ridiculous but i i mean over here there yeah i think the the, the government's mismanagement in many ways i think replicates just the i think the, the the lack of competence and skill in the highest levels of government at the moment i mean this is not these are not people who have a lot of i think appropriate experience there are people who tend to be very ideological mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, I think, to to American politics right now. Not quite, I think, to the same extent, but certainly, uh, you know, similar character. So, I mean, there has been a significant mismanagement here. But one of the things that is yeah. different is that they are uh, implementing these local lockdowns, and you know, they're they're trying to do some, you know, there's some testing going on, so they can, you know, see the, you know, the infection mm -hmm. rate is, is is going up. Well, and and you also have a central apparatus for you know administering health and healthcare and watching what people are you know, are, are doing and, 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 you know, what the rates of things are, you know, in a global sense, even. Uh, ha having the NHS is a huge advantage, you know. Definitely. The, I mean, the NHS is really, is really, really important. Um, it's got one of the most, you know, it's one of the most efficient um, in economic terms, healthcare systems around the amount of money that goes into it, you know, the, the, the level of healthcare costs. Part of that is probably because salaries in the NHS are very low, but that's not by no means that the only reason that, you know, there's a lot of really good things about it. But one of the one of the things that even though it's a national health service, it's a lot of it is uh, managed regionally through various trusts. So 
right? So some places will have, you know, they'll have a lot more resources or they might have more money. They'll have better doctors, right? Better nurses, you know, more professional levels of staff um, just because of regional variations. And, uh, you know, that, that, that can make a huge, a huge difference. And they did, but because it's national and, you know, they were able to, you know, they want you know, they able to move people around, you know, uh, move resources around to some extent. And they're, you know, repurposing, you know, a lot of the trust repurposing people around to try to, you know, help, um, help out, you know, where, where things are needed. Uh, but there's a huge discrepancy. It's not consistent. Yeah. You know, I think that that's disparities, no matter what system you, you work in, are, there's always going to be regional disparities somehow or another. Um, but you know, one of the things that's missing here is there's there's no universal medical record, right? Um, so every every medical practice goes and finds a vendor for a medical record, um, and there's some regulation on that. I mean, it's it's not like a total tower of Babel, but getting that all to communicate, you know, in one package is next to impossible. Um, and so everybody has to still manually report those things uh, to public health authorities, which themselves are underfunded. Um, and and they do it. I mean, there's you know high level of compliance with all those things, but but it's it's it just takes a tremendous amount of effort. Um, and you know, it's it, it, we we can't even really get a good picture of what's going on at a national level. Uh, when this when this thing first got started, you know, one of my first thoughts was basically ignore the federal government because of who's in charge right now, uh, and look at what your state's up to. Uh, but but states have very limited resources. Uh, you know they they just don't have the the depth of of knowledge and and the ability to spend the money that needs to be spent. I mean, it just seems crazy, right? I mean, a country as wealthy as the United States is unable to and and has such a surveillance system in place, right? Is unable to have that kind of data uh, collected or available. Uh, and, and I mean, here, I mean, the UK is a definitely a surveillance society in many ways, but. Um, I think this is one instance where, you know, uh, if the testing was being done properly, uh, and if the, you know, the bureaucracy was actually working effectively, uh, we would, you know, we would be in a much better, better place, you know, and being able to, and, and understanding, you know, where the cases are, you know, how fast they're rising, you know, which areas need a bit more resources. And we're doing that. I mean, you see that happening. I, it's not happening as well as it should. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're doing that too, and it's not happening as well as it should. Um, it's, yeah. You know, I think almost anywhere could say that, you know, you look at the places that have have really done well at this and you have basically East Asia and, you know, Australia and New Zealand. Um, and yeah. and what it has taken for them to, to keep. Well, British Columbia, done pretty, they've done pretty well in British yeah. Columbia. No, that's from. true. I've, I've been tracking that. Yeah, they have uh, pretty much Australian numbers. And, and if you look at it in the United States, you know, you look at the, the, the rates, the, the incidence rates, you know, per 100,000 or per million people in the state of New York right now, uh, it looks a lot like what you would see in Western Europe. Um, it's, uh, it's right around, I'm trying to think of, see, there's these apples to apples comparisons, but right now we have 3.4 per 100,000 in New York City. So that would be 34 per million, which is how it's reported on a global level. Uh, Portugal has 33 per million. Uh, the UK has 22 per million. You know, France right now has 92 per million. So that's, you know, incidents uh, over the past week, smooth average. Um, and so you take a place like New York and it looks a lot like what, you know, at least sort of on average in a general way, what's going on in Western Europe right now. Um, but let's go to Wayne County, Tennessee, 
where it's uh, 1,207 per 100,000. So that would be per million, uh, 12,007 per, per million. Uh, it's just a, you know, a mind-bogglingly high number. Um, and you know, what we're seeing here now is this, this real bifurcation where uh, you know, urban areas and places that have been hit hard uh, have gotten it together, at least in a reason, reasonably, uh, where people are, are, are getting by, hospitals aren't overwhelmed. Um, and then you have these rural areas. You look at a, at, at a map of the United States, you know, where, where red is bad and, <laughs> and, and less red is less bad. Uh, and, you know, you look at all the red spots. I'm just thinking, looking at the New York Times right now. And, uh, you know, they're all, they're, they're all, you know, very rural communities right now. Mm -hmm. there, there are no major cities that are having the level of outbreaks um, that, that, that they're seeing in, in, in smaller communities. And after having six months of experience with this and watching what's been going on in urban areas, you know, the only thing that I can come away with is people really believing like, oh, well, that's just trouble that happens in the cities. It won't happen here. I think that people are getting completely different news, uh, completely different sources of information on all of this. There's also a, a, a tendency among uh, governors in a lot of these rural states to push business interests. Uh, above everything else. I mean, I, I remember a couple months ago hearing an interview with the governor of Nebraska, uh, very smooth talking guy, very intelligent person. And, and, you know, he's talking about how the state can't shut down, you know, how the, how the priority has to be making sure that the hospitals aren't overwhelmed, but this thing is just going to have to run its course and business is going to remain open and people are going to wear masks if they want, but we're not going to make them. And I think he still has that belief, you know, and the state of Nebraska hasn't really quite been hit so hard compared to some other rural states. But, it, but you know, they, they could be doing better. And if you look a little north of them in, in South Dakota and North Dakota, there's some really nasty outbreaks going on. My opinion is they ought to be looking at that very closely and have, you know, the tools ready to go to shut things down, at least at a local level where possible. And they're not even thinking like that. I, I mean, what they're thinking about is, well, how do we keep businesses open? And it's just this mindset of like, you know, business uber alles, right? Yeah, I mean, that leads, I guess, onto the, you know, our, the last point of our discussion is how do we work our way out of this? COVID is not going to, I don't think COVID's ever going to just disappear, right? Uh, it's always, it'll always be with us in, in some fashion. And it's going to take a while for, you know, vaccines to be, you know, uh, produced and then actually, you know, rolled out, you know, getting them out is not going to be easy. And, uh, you know, the logistics there are massive. And uh, even if a vaccine is produced, you know, well, it will work for everybody or, you know, is it like a flu jab, you know, where you need to you know, actually change them, uh, you know, change the vaccine every year. Like there's so many unknowns here. Yes. Yeah, so what's the end game look like, right? The first thing that I've been thinking about with that is look at the, the European experience where, you know, the, uh, the curve was crushed as it were, right? Uh, it was just, you know, they did a great job. They, very draconian lockdowns. In the end, they were able to take really, you know, nasty outbreaks and just shut them down. And then people went off on holiday over the, you know, the August holidays and, and they came back and, and you're seeing huge flare ups in France and Spain right now. And, you know, to a lesser extent in Italy and somewhat, I think the UK is sort of more at a steady state. But the, the, the overall lesson is just like you said, it's not going away. Um, and, you know, there's just no... The, the amount of vigilance it's going to take absent, you know, any sort of medical intervention, like a, like a good vaccine that, you know, can really be out there for everybody universally. You know, it means that no matter how good you are, you got to stay good and, you know, you can't let your guard down. And, and, and that's, that, that's a, that's a global lesson, you know, and it's, 
it's a hard one to, 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 you know, instill in people and, and, you know, have them get the idea that it's, that it's marathon that we're in the middle of here. One of the things that's just so frustrating for me is that you see you know, what, what COVID is demonstrating, like so many other things, you know, challenges that humans face, you know, you know, such as the environment, you know, environmental challenges like climate change, but uh, is that, you know, you, you can't just isolate this, right? You are all in this together. But what you also see simultaneously is this, you know, resurgence of, you know, nationalism and this idea, you know, you're saying that the U.S. doesn't look to what anybody else is doing. And when you see similar debates, uh, sorry, similar perspectives, it's, you know, erupting all over where, you know, we're doing it better. One of the things you've got, you know, Boris Johnson, the prime minister here, and, you know, other, other um, you know, leading politicians will talk about is how, you know, the U.K. is going to produce, like, you know, the best, you know, contact tracing app. Of course, we're not. You know, the U.K. is going to have, you know, world leading. It's all, you know, we're going to do it. It's going to be us. And it's like, well, wait a minute. It firstly, it shouldn't matter. <laughs> it shouldn't matter. Right. Yeah. Secondly, you're not because, you know, you've screwed up everything so far. So why do you think suddenly you're going to be able to do this correct and, you know, properly? And, you know, and then thirdly, wait, what about everybody else? Right. It doesn't matter how good you do it here if it's, you know, complete rubbish somewhere else. Like you can't, you know, just isolate yourself from the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, a. <laughs> It, 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 yeah, public health is hard, um, you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, public health applying to anything beyond a small town. And yeah, I think that, and, and it, this this particular aspect of it, you know, this, uh, this pandemic that we're all in the middle of here has occurred in a time where everybody is turning inward. Uh, you know, that was happening prior to this. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's just sort of a really a nasty coincidence that that, you know, we would be dealing with something that's really a global public issue um, and in an acute sense, you know, right in front of our faces, um, right at a time when you have, you know, the Donald Trump's and the Boris Johnson's talking about, you know, making sure that, that you know, our respective nations are first in, in everything and not participating in the, the WHO's efforts to get a vaccine out globally, even though that's really the only way that we're ever going to get out of this thing. It's a, it's, it's going to be a long time, you know. Um, I, I do think that in the next couple of months, we should be seeing some therapies that are really going to improve the mortality rate and the morbidity rate of this thing. When there's some better antiviral drugs out, uh, that really changes the game. Uh, we're going to see vaccines start to roll out, I think, you know, late in the autumn, uh, likely. I would say November, we're going to start to see things. Uh, certainly, there are people here who want to get it out. Um, prior to our upcoming election, whether they're able to get anything out, whether that actually matters in terms of the election, you know, I'm kind of dubious about, but, you know, one way or another, there's a huge rush towards getting vaccines to market. And right now, I think there's about seven that are in the late stage uh, clinical trials. And, you know, it's going to be a few months and we'll start to see them roll out. Some of them are going to work better than others. Some of them are going to turn out to have side effects that are unacceptable when you start to look at, you know, 10,000 or 100,000 people receiving them instead of, you know, 1,000 people in a clinical trial. And it's going to be a long slog. And, you know, out of that, I think, you know, there'll probably be a handful of vaccines that work very well. Um, and, and, you know, it's going to be an uneven distribution of who has them and who doesn't. You know, I, 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 I think that we're looking at a lot of closed borders for some time, um, for that reason alone. Uh, and it's, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to really think about. I mean, my, my brother lives in the UK and he wants to come back for, 
for, for the holidays this winter. And I don't know if he'll be able to, you know, it, it doesn't seem likely at this stage of the game. And, and that's, that's true for a lot of people. And so there's, there's no easy way out of this. You know, I think that the public health measures, the, the lockdowns help us to get it under control. The masks help us to keep it under control. You know, behavior change helps. The thing's still going to be there. I mean, people are still interacting with one another. And so it's, it's, it, and, and it spreads like wildfire. So yeah, and, and until there's a, there's, you know, widespread immunity to this thing from a vaccine, most likely. Um, you know, we're sort of living with it. I do. I mean, I'm I'm hopeful, though. I really. This sounds terrible, but you know, I, I am hopeful, and I I do believe that, you know, at least locally where I am, let's say, because I'm a parochial American, you know, we're going to start to see what amounts to pretty normal life late in the spring, early in the summer next year, and I think that that'll apply, you know, pretty broadly to a lot of places. And, you know, the, the game will turn more into sort of stamping out outbreaks as they come up, um, making sure that vaccines are, are really evenly distributed. You know, I was just, there's a, the flu vaccine is something that everybody is supposed to get every year. Um, and here, the, the usual rate nationally is something like 40% get the flu vaccine. And federal officials have a target this year of 65%. And, you know, I'm just thinking about, well, 65% is kind of the bare minimum they're estimating right now for, uh, you know, achieving herd immunity, you know, with a hypothetical vaccine for, for COVID. And, and it's, it, just, it just really struck home how much of a challenge it's going to be to, to make sure everybody gets the jab when, when, it's, when it comes available. But, you know, this isn't the first time that there has been uh, a disease like that and then, and then some sort of a cure for it or, or a way out in any case. Yeah, polio in the 50s was, was a prime example of something that, you know, was, was really pretty frightening and it really, you know, it affected children above all. And they were able to get a, vac- a mass vaccination out, you know, on a global scale. And today, polio only exists in a couple of small places in the Middle East. Yeah. And so, you know, this is, this is certainly a surmountable challenge, but it's really sort of laying to bear, you know, some of the, some of the shortcomings in, in the way that, we, we run our countries and uh, the way that people, what people expect from, from leadership and what leadership provides to people. You know, I just read, uh, just read this morning that somebody did a, a poll of, you know, if there was a national mask mandate here, uh, who would be trusted more? And, you know, would it be, would, if Joe Biden did it versus, versus Donald Trump, who would trust it more? And the answer was Donald Trump. And it's because of just this sort of overall distrust. And I mean, for me personally, if there's a national mask mandate, it wouldn't matter who did it. But there are some people who wouldn't believe it coming from from Biden. It's very weird. More people would trust if it came from Trump. Is that what you said? Well, yeah, in the sense that for for me, it's like I'm somebody I'm, I'm not a Trump guy. Right. But but if I hear that there's a national you know, from the president saying everybody needs to wear masks. It's now a thing that you got to do. I mean, I, I'm going to do it regardless of whether it's Trump or Biden. But then there are some people who would only do it for Trump and not necessarily for Biden. You know, so that's kind of the breakdown, right? It's not, it's not that I trust Trump more. It's it, it's just, that, you know, my, my sort of default state is listen to authority, put on a mask, do what I'm told. And, you know, intuitively wearing a mask makes a heck of a lot of sense to keep this thing from spreading. So fine, you know, sometimes, you know, Donald Trump says sensible things. 
I'm not so <laughs> sure that's I'm not so sure if that's true, but let's uh let's save that for the next the next conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the next <laughs> the next conversation. conversation. All right, they will stop it there and yeah. I think, you know, for this is our first recording, so hopefully we'll we'll smooth things out as we go along and yeah, thanks very much for listening everybody. Thanks Ethan. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. Hope it was interesting. This has been Three Opinions. Music for this podcast is I Don't Know by Grapes, featuring Jay Lang and Marusk. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.